This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. Trying to show you in the series the connection between the eroding of the Jesus movement out of Western culture and the ushering in of these demonic forces that had been forced to the fringes by the Jesus movement. So that you'll be well aware when you see things happening. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. My name is Bill and this week, Pastor Jeff continues his series called Under the Influence. The series is about culture and society being under the influence of evil forces. In today's episode, Pastor Jeff is talking about the correlation between the removal of Jesus in areas of culture and the increase of demonic forces around us. Turn to Ephesians 6 if you want to read the relevant section in your Bible. Let's begin this first part of the message with Pastor Jeff. To start this weekend, just two quick questions. Number one, I want you to think about this. What is the greatest commandment? What were we told? What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What's the second? Love your neighbor as yourself, right? So you're supposed to pursue and treasure God more than anything else. And then if you're doing that, you're supposed to pursue and treasure your neighbor and have the same passion that you do for your own interest for your neighbor's interest. So that means you want to take care of him or her. You want to see them prosper. You want to see them do well. Now, second question. When Jesus, in his ministry, if you read any of the Gospels, you'll know, who did Jesus struggle the most with? Was it sinners? No. When he met a sinner, he said, I'm going to offer you forgiveness. Now, he would say, go and stop sinning. But he did that because he knows that if you violate God's design, destruction comes. So it was motivated out of love. Stop doing that. That's not going to work. But who did he struggle most with? The self-righteous people. The people that thought they had no sin. Or somehow that their sin wasn't as bad as somebody else's sin. Now, everything I'm about to say, if you don't keep that in your mind, you're going to interpret this totally in the wrong way. And we're not going to achieve the desired result. Because what we're talking about is the Bible is very clear in, in the book of Ephesians. This has kind of been a, our verse or our, our passage throughout this entire series, that you and I are in a battle. Then you listen to the news or you read what's going on and you're, you just get really frustrated. You're supposed to pause and you're supposed to not panic. Ours is not the spirit of timidity or fear, but of what? A sound mind, self-control. So you're supposed to know that our struggle, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against your neighbor. It's against principalities, rulers, powers, and world forces. And we described those in the very first sermon. We broke them down and said, there's a real battle going on. There are two kingdoms diametrically opposed to one another. And so we started by saying that historically, we know that the Jesus movement, now not the Jesus revolution, that's a different sermon. Not when the hippies came to Jesus in the 60s and 70s in Southern California, but the original Jesus movement when God sent his son to die for our sins. We said that at that moment, the false gods of hundreds and hundreds of years were pushed aside and relegated to the fringes. So wherever the gospel traveled across the West, demonic forces were forced out, human rights and dignity. 
typically followed the trail of the gospel. It was Christ's followers who put an end to dumping female children in the rivers, to sacrificing children on molten altars, to relegating women to second-class citizens, and elevating the value of a person based on wealth, birth, and skin color. The Jesus movement put an end to all of that. And I like to remind young people today, when you're fighting for social justice, you've got to remember that you're only doing that because you believe in the central tenets of Judeo-Christianity. You believe that human, humanity is valuable. See, whether you know it or not, you've been influenced by Judeo-Christian values. Now, does this mean that Christ followers have never messed up? Oh, my goodness. Because Christianity has often been hijacked by either ignorance, people who thought they knew what Jesus taught but had no clue, so started wars, or by power-hungry people who looked at the gospel and said, you know what, this could be very advantageous for raising a lot of money. And that has also been done. Remember what we said? God is good, people suck. It's true, though, isn't it? God is good, but we're messed up, all of us. The second thing we learned is that when the Jesus movement is forced out of culture, there is a heavy price to pay. We should have learned our lesson by now because Jesus' morality is good stuff. Forgiveness, reconciliation, love for one's neighbor, equality, not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to, humility, which is the antithesis of pride. These are all part and parcel to the Jesus movement. And when Jesus is pushed out, human life is devalued and whenever necessary, eradicated. And then we started last week by showing how the God's who were forced to the fringes by the Jesus movement, when they are forced out, and they've been forced out for hundreds of years, when they come back in, they don't bring life, they bring death. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. To kill human life, to steal your identity, your meaning, and your significance, and to destroy, to bring everything to ruin. The Greek word is apolumi. It's a word that means to smash something to ruin. Now, the gods we said, these rulers, powers, principalities, world forces, they're identifiable because they've been around since the oldest civilization of Mesopotamia. We actually have, from the oldest written language in Mesopotamia, we have records of the gods, of the beliefs. The demonic forces have been talked about, read about, and written about since the earliest of civilizations. And they've taken on the identity of pagan deities throughout every generation. So you've heard about Baal and Zeus and Apollo and Aphrodite and Molech, hundreds more. Various avatars and idols, but the same demonic forces identified from the beginning. So I'm trying to show you that you may not see them visibly, but you know their impact. And I'm trying to show you in this series the connection between the eroding of the Jesus movement out of Western culture and the ushering in of these demonic forces that had been forced to the fringes by the Jesus movement. So that you'll be well aware when you see things happening. What's happening? And that you would take heart. Now can I just say something? Even in the middle of a culture like this, you do know as Christ followers you have God's favor. That you're ultimately going to win. But it doesn't mean, listen carefully, it does not mean that Christ will not ask you to suffer and die for his purposes. Sacrifice has always been the defining characteristic of Christ's followers. And Christians all over the world, in Africa and Asia, have been sacrificing themselves for generations. We've been blessed 
but it might be our turn. You might be forced to really think about what it is that you believe and are you willing to pay the price to count the cost. Last week we looked at demonic force number one. The ultimate anti-God is Baal. The God who inspires worship or gives ultimate word to, that's what worship means, to the creation rather than the creator. So man, when Baal returns, shifts his focus and passion away from God, you shall have no other gods before me, to the things God has created, toward the gift rather than the giver. Jesus and Paul warned that these times are coming. I'm in 2 Timothy 1. Tell me this is not appropriate to where we are today. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. In other words, there's a spiritual reality, but you're not really following Jesus. Now we turn our attention. I can't rehearse that. It would take too much time. I need you to follow me. I've got a short amount of time. This series could go for months. We're trying to do it for four weeks. There is the second God. The demonic force takes the form of a woman. She is often portrayed as the wife of Baal, but she also takes the form of a man when necessary. Yes, she claimed transgender all the way back to the earliest of civilizations. She's the patron of alcohol intoxication and prostitution. Her images were everywhere in the ancient world. We have carvings from every generation. She was an enchantress, a sorceress. She was able to possess someone to the point of altering one's affections or behaviors. She was notorious for making a woman desire a woman and a man desire a man. This is nothing new. She moved and spoke through her priestess who served as a vessel who prostituted themselves in the pagan temples. Now, here's a, here's a quotation from Herodotus. Herodotus is not a Christ follower. We're just quoting from history here, not the Bible. The Greek historian says this, and I quote, Every woman of the land, in worship of this god or goddess, was compelled to perform the act of prostitution by having relations with a stranger in exchange for money at least once in her life. She is referred to as the seductress, the enchantress, Ishtar, and in the Bible, she's called Ashtoreth. In Mesopotamia, on the 10th day of the Feast of Vatika, the Babylonian kings would perform ritual sex acts in honor of Ishtar, or Akitu. This would take place to the goddess's high priestess, who would act as kind of a surrogate. In Babylon, she was known as Ishtar. Among the Greeks, she was known as Aphrodite. To the Romans, she was known as Venus. But make no mistake, different names, same dark goddess. In the tablets of Sumer, one of the oldest known written languages from Mesopotamia, Ishtar is described as, and I quote again, Hirmatu or Karkid, translated prostitute. So after thousands of years of influence, when the Jesus movement began to see the covenant of marriage and sexual intimacy as a gift exclusively given, belonging to that covenant of marriage, everything changed. And everything changed in the West because the West was primarily built, maybe perhaps not on Judeo-Christian values, but at least on the Ten Commandments. As the Jesus movement spread West, everything changed. Men were faithful to their wives. People stayed in marriage. The two concepts were faithfulness in marriage and chastity and singleness. 
Sex was between a man and a woman in a covenant of marriage. But this was the antithesis to the gods for hundreds of years. Because of the Jesus movement, the goddesses dedicated to carnal desire and unbridled sexuality could not be maintained, so the goddesses went into exile. That's why the temples that you now see the ruins started in decay around the 4th century B.C. The Jesus movement was spreading. What's really interesting about the two gods, Baal and Ashtoreth, or Ishtar, were commonly linked together in the Old Testament. Judges 2.13, they forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. Judges 10.6, then the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths. They cried out, Lord, and said, this is 1 Samuel 12, we have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and served Baals and Ashtoreths. Typically in culture, even in Israel, Baal always precedes Ishtar or the Ashtoreth. Baal turns a nation's heart away from God and has them pursue the blessings of God rather than God himself. That then opens the door for the Ashtoreth to come in with unbridled sexuality and decadence. The god of apostasy ushers in the goddess of sexual debauchery. And when Ashtoreth appears, a sexual revolution occurs in history. So just quickly, back to the 60s we go again because we said last week that when the gods gained critical mass in American culture in the 60s, after God was expelled, we expelled prayer, we expelled the Ten Commandments, after God was expelled, that paved the way for a sexual revolution. And a sexual revolution occurred. But another sexual revolution occurred 2,000 years earlier. It took place in the Greco-Roman world. It was the revolution by which biblical, sexual, ethics, ideas, and morality replaced those of the pagan gods. It happened at the same time the gods were cast out of Western civilization. Civilization. The two phenomenon occurred at the same time. You with me? So the Jesus movement, when Jesus came and established his kingdom, it forced the goddess of Rome and Venus, the goddess of Greece, Aphrodite, the goddess of Phoenicia, Astarte, the goddess of Mesopotamia, Ishtar, to the fringes of society. As biblical Christianity, and you can find this again in the book by Rodney Stark, The Rise of Christianity, as the Jesus movement swept through the West, all the temples started to crumble and prosper humanity. The Jesus movement dethroned the gods and relegated them to the dark fringes of society. Now, if Ishtar was to return to the West, the first thing is she would have to do so incrementally. The West would first have to turn away from God and start serving other gods, which it's done. Baal would need to return first and turn the hearts of men away from God under the blessings of God. And then after that, after the precepts of the Jesus movement have been ignored, then a new morality that denounced biblical morality concerning marriage and sexuality could take center stage. So the question I have for you, stay with me now. Has Ishtar or Ashtoreth returned to America? Think about it for a moment. In the mid-19th century, the mid-19th, not too long ago, in America and in the West, sexuality was seen as a sacred domain of marriage. Marriage was a lifelong covenant of love between husband and wife. And sex outside marriage was a sin and something to be ashamed of. Not because sex is something to be ashamed of or because it's a bad thing, but because the parameters of a good thing had been violated. You know, I, I used the example a few weeks ago. I hate walking out to the shed when I have to hammer a nail, so I'll just take off my shoe. And I, don't you do that, guys? And I'll just hammer the nail in the wall with my shoe. Of course, that works for a few times. But the shoe was not designed to be a hammer, so after a while, it's destroyed. 
Humanity is based on design, and God knows that design, and when you violate it, it brings destruction, which motivates God to give us the precepts of abundant life. When we stayed together, when marriage was sacred, when sex was sacred, the divorce rate was minuscule. The rate of children being raised in broken homes, also minuscule. And then around the 50s and 60s, when the god Baal returned to the western shores, and men turned from God and served the created things rather than the creator, the digression began. You can read it like a map. For instance, talk about the divorce rate. In 1950, we had two divorces in 1,000 people. In 1980, 44 in 1,000. In 2022, we've had the lowest divorce rate since 1950. Why? Because nobody gets married anymore. You only have divorces when you get married. And now to show you how the digression has progressed, couples living together and unmarried in 1950, 100,000 unmarried couples living together. In 1970, 523,000. In 1980, 1.6 million. In 2020, 5 million. This is only in America. And now you have claimed Christians, people who claim to follow Jesus, living together unmarried. Do you know why? Because they're not following Jesus. If I tell you, follow me, and I start walking this way, and you go the other direction, are you following me? If Jesus says, follow me, sex is sacred, reserved for marriage, and you don't do that, you're not following Jesus. That's not a judgment. That's delivering to you the judgment God has already determined. If you're a couple living together and you're not married and you call yourself Christian, stop it. The demonic forces have you. You can rationalize and justify it. You can say, well, it's cheaper this way. Okay, then money's your God. Because when your two gods have tension, you'll serve the one who's really your God. So you're serving money rather than God. Prostitution. Before Judeo-Christian values were eradicated, prostitution existed, I know that. It was illegal, but it was confined to the fringes. Pornography was taboo, and for the most part, kept out of the mainstream culture and public view. Those who broke the standard would keep it private. Other than an illusion or suggestion, sexual relations were generally not depicted on movie screens. Nudity of any kind was forbidden, and any reference to sex outside of marriage was not portrayed in a positive light. Those days are gone. Ishtar returned. When Israel turned away from God, sex in the form of the goddess Ashtoreth, or Ishtar, was deified. Sex became the ultimate pursuit and the ultimate experience. Culture was possessed with it in the Old Testament. In Israel, the Ashtoreth pole, shaped in the design of an unclothed female, was actually planted by the groves of trees in hoping that the god Ashtoreth would send abundance. And that's why Ashtoreth is often referred to as the wife of Baal, the god of fertility and prosperity. So you went through the wife, Ashtoreth, to get to the husband. Some things never change. But to receive the blessings, you also needed to worship Ashtoreth or Ishtar. How did you worship Ishtar? Sensuality and ritual prostitution. You went to the temple of Ishtar, Diana, Aphrodite, Ashtoreth, Artemis, and Ephesus, and engaged with the temple prostitutes. That was your form of worship, and it was incredibly erotic. Now, those of you who went with me to Ephesus last year in Turkey and Israel, you'll remember that we visited Ephesus and the temple of Artemis. 
Devotees from all over the world came to participate in the erotic rituals to honor the god Artemis, or Ishtar. Her temple became one of the seven wonders of the world. She promised fertility, long life, sexual fulfillment, protection during pregnancy. If you participated in these seductive sexual experiences that were celebrated in the temples, if you participated in the huge processions and the parades that honored Ishtar, Artemis, with music and dancing, you think the pride parades are new? Do you have any idea where they came from? If you did all of these things in honor of the gods, then all these things were promised. Whatever form Ishtar takes, she is most definitely the goddess of sexual prostitution and immorality, and she always works her demonic wiles through intoxication. Now, you do know where I'm getting this information, right? Not, not from the Bible. Some of it's there, of course. This is just history, folks. Archaeological finds are amazing. They print out written works for us. We can know what other cultures were like all the way back to the days of Mesopotamia. And so, there's an ancient hymn in ancient literature that goes like this, and I quote, They cannot compete with you, Anna, which is Ishtar. As a prostitute, you go down to the tavern, and like a ghost who slips through the window, you enter there. Now, keep that in the back of your mind for a moment. Let's keep going. When Ishtar reenters the mainstream, sex is divorced from marriage. It's pursued without regard for context or consequences. It is stripped of the context of marriage and brought into the larger arena of the marketplace, and it is sold as a commodity. That's key. From the earliest days, and the festivals and the rituals celebrating sex outside of marriage or biblical parameters openly, pridefully, and gainfully demonstrate Ishtar's lust in the streets. Now, again, if you go to Israel, if you go to uh, Ephesus, if you go to Turkey today, you're going to see all of these Bible lands. And part of the temple, you had the Agora, which was the marketplace. And surrounding the Agora were the, the temples and the priests and priestesses, the pagan gods. And in those situations, sex was always used to procure money. It was a good way to make a living. Paul got in trouble because when he went to Ephesus, he preached against these statues and these gods. So let me read it to you in Acts 19. This is verse 23. About that time, there arose a great disturbance among the way. That's the Christ followers. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, that's Ishtar, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in related trades and said, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. Now, the business he had was making statues of Artemis and selling them. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. Makes sense to me. There's also danger, that is, there is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. <laughs> they, got, they surrounded Paul. They wanted to kill him. Has Ishtar returned? She has flooded culture with sexual immorality. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. Are you with me still? Can I finish? When the Jesus movement entered Western civilization, the people walked away from paganism and the gods and goddesses went into exile. When Ishtar and demonic forces went into exile, their temples closed. 
However, if the goddess returned, the values and practices of her cult and worship would also return. Society would once again accept and celebrate these things that Christ had forbidden. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.